Welcome to Books at Work, the best and most useful bits of business books. I'm Anna Hughes and my professional purpose is to help people love their work. The Gen Zers are the biggest grouping in the world ever. And because they're coming into the workplace, they're becoming our customers, they're becoming our, our teachers of our children, they're becoming you know, the influencers of the future. They are so important that we keep track of what they expect because they are the ones who are going to change the way we think about life and the way we work. You're hearing Frances Valentine, Kiwi entrepreneur and educator and author of Future You. I've been thinking a lot lately about why some people keep learning while they're working and others don't. Future You is like a breath of fresh air. It's full of stories and evidence to help us lift our sights and keep learning to stay relevant as the world changes. I'm really inspired by Frances's book and thinking to try new things to make it easy for people to use books at work as a tool to coach themselves. I'm going to keep working on that one, so we'll keep you posted. Frances is founder and CEO of MindLab, whose vision is to create impactful futures by aligning digital skills and capabilities with the demands of a contemporary world. I've even seen her described as a futurist. What she is, is an entrepreneur and educator who has beautifully combined her stories and experiences with practical, insightful things we can learn to embrace change in the future in this book, Future You. She covers everything from embracing change, to the digital future, to the future of work, to your online brand, and to becoming an entrepreneur. For the Future You Speed Read, I'm going to pull out a handful of the wisdom from the flow of the book that stood out for me, and then we'll get into a deeper conversation with Francis to learn other key things from the book. So it starts with the book title, Future You. Whether you're planning for a different career, developing a more impactful legacy, or wanting to step out with more confidence into the future, we have it within ourselves to create our future you. Here are some of the questions that Francis encourages us to ask ourselves. How do we react when faced with new situations and uncertainty? Do we embrace or deflect change? How open are we to new ideas, new people, and new ways of thinking? How do our assumptions hold us back? And I really like this one. Who is the person who will be playing with our grandchildren? What does that person look like? Radio, a quick fire run through of things to reflect on from the book. It can appear that technology is moving faster than our minds can keep up. Value, not coasting. Stay relevant, stay informed. Keep an expansive view of the world around us. Your path is what you make it. If you want to make a difference, change outcomes or start a movement, you must find the courage to stand apart. You'll be leading from the edge, move out to the fringes and stand up for what you believe in. Progress takes just one person with a brave heart and the desire to create a different type of legacy. Every new action we put in place has the potential to be the circuit breaker needed to reset a system or re-establish the direction you're heading. The future of work is a matter of learning. Being able to understand new information will be the most critical component of personal and professional development. As each birthday passes, don't put up barriers to learning. 
and two more things, an open and forward-thinking employee who is an active learner and shows a willingness to develop is far more valuable to an organisation than a person who arrives preloaded with plenty of features but with no available upgrades. Being proactive about what you want to be doesn't mean choosing the right subjects at school. It's about what you fight for, who you back and the battles you choose. This book made me feel good about the future. There was something positive and upbeat in Frances's attitude and approach that's just so infectious. Let's hear some of this from her now. So we've got on the line Frances Valentine and we're going to talk about her wonderful book, Future You. Hi Frances, how are you? I'm fantastic, thanks very much Anna. Right, so we always start with where in the world are you and what's a view out your window today? So today I'm in Auckland or Tamaki Makoto and I'm in the city and um, unfortunately the view outside my window is just traffic, so not the most glamorous view, but a great place to work. So we might hear a bit of traffic noise when we chat. We may, and actually the hospital's just down the road. We, if we're very unlucky, we might get a siren as well. <laughs> oh, well, it all adds to the ambiance. Um, <laughs> right, so what I like to do is just dive straight into it. There's so much in the book, uh, and we've got quite a few topics to cover. Um, so I'm really keen to talk about um, embracing change to start with. And you've got a little analogy about bingo, and it's just keen to... Uh, Tell, tell the community more about why you think change is a bit like bingo or not. <laughs> well, it's actually or not. So the idea is I watched as a child people play bingo and this idea of covering and the sequence of numbers on their card. And I realised as life went on that a lot of people had their life planned out like a card that they would finish high school, go to university, go to university into a job, have a job for life, and then sort of plan this almost a sequential um, a process and how often that got derailed, you know, life changes and influences come in and you meet new people. And, and this idea, if you had a life already planned out, it became very difficult to then change direction or adjust to something that perhaps is different. Whereas people who go in without this expectation of a sequential or planned life are much more fluid and actually much more able to, to change as life you know, unrolls and things, you know, don't, don't pan out quite as we expect. So for those of us who've uh, had a bit of a planned life, how can we how can we change that? How can we embrace that change? I think it starts with saying, why do we have a planned life? What is the benefit of having something that's totally planned? You know, I actually like planning. I'm a bit of a planner myself, but they're much more sort of thematic as opposed to accurate, this is what comes next. And I think it's about saying, if you took away the safety rails of having an absolute plan and having a routine and, and a sort of a, a next step guide to life, then actually what would you win and what would you lose? And actually I think it comes pretty apparent that actually you lose some of the spontaneity of life if it's too planned because it doesn't fit the diary or it doesn't fit the, the, the overarching kind of theme. Whereas if you start to think about it in terms of part of your life has got this flexibility built into it and is open to change and influences and introduction of new people or situations you had unplanned that actually might enable or sort of enable doors to open and new opportunities to kind of really come into your life and and for you to benefit from that experience. So really interested to know what we can learn from generated Generation Z and you've got a whole chapter in here about the power of Generation Z. Why is that? 
Well, it's interesting. For a long time, I keep hearing about people talk about millennials and how they have, you know, changed in the world. Well, the oldest millennials are now 40. You know, they are dominant in the workplace. In fact, they are the biggest grouping in the workplace today. The group just behind them who are up to the age of 25, the Gen Zers, are the biggest grouping in the world ever. So they're a very, very populous number of people. This is from uh, sort of the late teens into those coming out of universities. And the differences of that group, they are the first truly digital generation. They have been impacted by the life around them. And of course, big chunks of their life, even in recent times, has been influenced by disruption and adversity you know, with COVID. And we're looking across right now, if you have conversations with this grouping, they're feeling the impact of the Ukraine war. It's the first time they're having to think about global situations that might impact on them. They've also seen redundancies and, and change. And here in Aotearoa, they've really seen some pretty major events happen. And so this group are so connected and so much living life uh, in its fullness, live, real time through just the streaming videos and the content they have on social media, that they are evaluating what's important to them quite differently. And you may have heard them talk about, you know, they don't want a car, a job and a, you know, a place, sort of a career for life. And, and they don't even want to get a driver's license, let alone, you know, sort of fall into those conformities that we had because the industrial age really needed us to have those things, that it was our security, it was the way that we operated and, and felt comfortable. And of course, a lot of those things have changed. Access to the housing market has shifted. We're thinking about the ownership of cars and, and actually, you know, even, even the energy needed to fuel a car, the cost of it, but also the environmental impact they're thinking about. They're thinking about friendships and connections and, and life in general quite differently. And because they're coming into the workplace, they're becoming our customers, they're becoming our, our teachers of our children, they're becoming you know, the influences of the future, they are so important that we keep track of what they expect because they are the ones who are going to change the way we think about life and the way we work. So if you think about the number of generations that are in the workforce at the moment, what can those of us who aren't in that group learn from them and apply to, you know, apply to ourselves? Is, is there anything that, that we can learn from that now? Well, I see great advantage of talking with this group. Um, if you look at the workplace challenges right now and the future of work, people are talking about distributed workforces, thinking uh, about things like four-day working weeks or flexibility about the type of hours and where you work. A lot of that's been driven by a younger generation who are really questioning the, the, which is why, why is it we need to be in the office nine to five? Why would we travel across the city an hour each way, which is a huge cost to us at the time when our income's at the lowest? Why would we not have that flexibility when technology gives it to us and it gives more certainty? So I think the benefits are when you're starting to reframe what the future looks like, having younger people in the conversation gives you the answer to, to listen to their motivations and actually start to understand that we are fairly much um, run on an autopilot. You know, we've sort of we've, we've consumed with the way things were because we've had them for so long. And actually a fresh pair of eyes does a lot of good in terms of us planning for the future, but also to understand how things are going to change either subtly or significantly over the coming years. So is that the Gen Z litmus test or is that something else? You talk about the Gen Z litmus test in the book. You know, the litmus test for me is if, if they don't get it, like if they, you know, if, for example, if I walk up to a, a rental car company and they've already had my payment, they've had my driver's license scanned through, they've had everything they need about me, 
why would I stand at a counter and then have to provide all those things all over again before I can even pick up the keys? So the litmus test is almost like the sanity check of like, is this really fit for purpose today? Are we really responding to a generation the way we would in a digital age when things are automated and they are predictable, we can use data and analytics, or are we just doing it the old way because it suits us? because it's the way the systems that we've grown up with. So the litmus test is really saying, you know, do we understand what it's like to be someone young who's walking into this world, which feels quite antiquated in some ways, and actually are we making any effort whatsoever to sort of shift at the margins to be more accommodating of a generation that is the most populous in the world? So it's, it's a really kind of a sanity check across some of the things we've done for a long time in a particular way. So are there any organisations that are doing that well? I mean, I'm thinking about the organisations I've been involved with and it would be quite hard to be so uh, focused on that generation. Uh, how do you do it in a... Yeah, how do, how do you do it? That's a big question, but... <laughs> a big question. I think if you look at more contemporary businesses, those who have started in the last few years or the last decade, they'll often talk about things like user experiences and it will be a combination of... How do people interact with their business? How do they actually, what's the interface? What's the digitization? How do they hold the information about the individual? So I think if tech companies are very good at this, you know, they're, they're sort of forced to because actually their relationship is built upon being really strongly and personalized and connected with an individual. I think when you're talking about more traditional businesses, it's a much harder process to go through because often the systems have been built to, to be you know, a human inter interface, a sort of a layer of complexity. And, and actually, so shifting that is a very conscious decision. You, you probably have heard of businesses going agile. And for many, what that really means is they're starting to use a different workplace methodologies to work together on projects and actually bring the benefits of different groupings of people, such as younger Generation Z, into the conversation, but also not to have this view that, everything is drawn out for, forever and ever, but actually in agile sprints, they run in these sort of small um, bite-sized um, ways of working and they bring people in as needed. And it's quite a different sort of way of working, but it really works in this world where so much of what we do is digitized or technology-based. And so that is really part of this, how do you, how do you make sure you're accommodating different generations, but mindful that actually the 20-year-old today or even the 25-year-old today who's Generation Z in the next 10 years is going to have huge impact on your business. And so how do we accommodate that? So it's kind of a needs must as opposed to, oh, let's just wait and see. Love that. So talking about generations, you also talk about the alpha generation and wondering what your observations are there and uh, the kind of how, how we navigate a multi-generational workforce. Yeah, so the generation of the workforce right now, we you know we have more people working much later in life, and and I think the idea of sort of retiring at sixty five is now becoming really uh, just unre unrealistic. We're going to live to be ninety, a hundred, and you know say you live to be hundred, which is a fair reasonable expectation in today's world, then actually you're going to have thirty five years or thirty five percent of your life after retirement. So people are going to have to find a way to be actively engaged for longer, even if it's not for financial reasons, if they're lucky enough to have a nest egg, it's you know, the, the connectivity for the communication, the socialization. On the other extreme, we have younger people getting into business. You know, They're doing side hustles, they're building their own little entrepreneurial side businesses while they're studying. So we have alpha generation of the littlies. These are the ones in our school system right now. 
What's really interesting about them is they are even more digital than Generation Z. They only have ever known smartphones and the internet and social media. And they are in some ways more egalitarian. They're very big on equity, equality, fairness. Um, you know, I think about the differences when I was young, being a female in technology as an anomaly. And now I talk to my young nieces and they're just like, they don't have any gender ideas about roles or biases. It's, you know, there's the fluidity now about, you know, the sort of the, the genders and about the types of roles that are appropriate or not appropriate. And so, so they are going to challenge us even more so in the workplace because they'll come in without any expectation that there has ever been uh, these sort of glass ceilings or inequality in leadership or sort of variances of, in terms of, of culture or gender or age biases. So all the isms are going to be challenged by the alpha generation who aren't going to be that far behind Generation Z coming into the workplace and we'll blink and suddenly they'll be here in their workplace and they'll be asking us for justification of some of the things that we took for granted or we just continue to do because it's the way we do things. I think it's so exciting and it's got to be so interesting. I'm still kind of struggling to um, see that kids who are growing up with my son are now in my workplace. Like it's 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 hard to get your head around, but uh, yeah, so exciting what both generations are going to bring to to our workplaces. It's very cool. Um, now, one yes. of the big big things I'm big on is leadership and. Um, just wanted to draw a couple of things out of the book around what makes a leader. And you have this concept of people watching and you see that as a skill or a strength of leaders. Keen to explore this a bit more. What what do you mean by that? And yeah, what do you mean by that? We'll start with that. I think so often leaders have been put into sort of command and control idea that they should make decisions quickly and they should have all the kind of information at their fingertips and to show no form of weakness. And I think the difference is now, because we're living in this much more complex world, you know, we've got, we're serving a much broader base of customers of, of different ethnicities with different influences. We actually do need to stop as leaders and watch a lot more and actually see how how products land or the experience that individuals have and are they having this fair and equitable experience to others and by sitting back and watching and observing what we then discover is some of the, you know, the fragilities of some of our systems or how it shuts some people out or it's not inclusive of others and in a time when we are responsible for everyone when you know this idea that we can just serve a few people and feel good that we're doing a good job that's long gone and actually there is an individual ownership on leaders to be very mindful about how we have our services and our, our products be accessible i think it's only through observation it's observation of how people interact it's observation of what people think you know i think it's sometimes one of the beauties of listening um, is that you hear things if you give people the space to grow into that, to be confident, to share back with you. Some of the best insights I've ever had on my business have either been um, unsolicited, like I've overheard people talking about something that I do or a business I have, and actually I, they don't know who I am, <laughs> and they've given me insights and it's been really insightful. Or secondly, when, when you're actually having the space where your staff or your customers feel very um, free to express their views with no judgment, with no uh, consequence. And I think often we, we, we don't do that enough, that we, we don't give enough 
chance for people to do a full feedback. And it's not that people are going to suddenly come forward and tell you how terrible you are. It's just telling you the nuances of their experience or the, the subtleties of things you may not think about if you ask a, a single questionnaire, one line, you know, A, B or C. So, you know, I do think sitting back and observing is such a critical skill now of, of leaders. And I, the quiet leaders, I think, now are having a place. And certainly for me growing up and even now as an introvert, I prefer um, sitting and watching and then coming forward when I feel like I've got all the information. It doesn't mean I don't make fast decisions when I have to, because sometimes things have to be made and you have to make a hard decision and you can't take that time and really gather every bit of information. But where you can, I think it's a really important skill set to have. So what, what are the sorts of things that you watch for? What, what, what sort of things are you observing? Um, I think it's the nuances of, of behaviour. And I think this is particularly if you're looking at the culture of your organisation. So putting aside customers, watching your team interact and seeing perhaps those who sit quietly, who maybe are not the first to step forward. Maybe they're the ones who don't get the recognition Maybe the people in the team who actually you don't hear about a lot, but understanding where they fit. Because sometimes those very quiet, thoughtful people in the team are the very people who are actually supporting others to be the best that they can be, or the ones who are actually you know, quietly just providing that support and guidance for others. And so it's really saying it's not about the noisy few, it's about the, the subtleties of the collective. And I think it's so, so incredibly important to understand how if you take a person out of a team, they can change things quite significantly, even though that person may appear at the outset as being reasonably quiet and, and non-impactful. Non you know, I think it's, again, the more you can observe and the more you can see nuances, the better you are at understanding both your team and your culture of your organisation, but also the customers of your a chance to interface with them and if you have you know a fortunate to have a business where you can watch customers be involved with your product or service again it gives you this insight that you you cannot get any other way and so you talk about the active state of mind what what as a leader what what is that so it's you know actively connected with what you're doing and actually being very present um one of the uh examples I use in the book is, is an amazing encounter I had with um, Joe Biden when he was vice president. And when he talked to everybody he spoke to, including myself, in fact, in my case, he, he took my hands, he looked me in the eye and, and asked me to talk about who I was and what I believed in and be actively involved. And so quite often, you'll know this, you're a parent, because I do this all the time. My kids are talking, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not active. I'm actually thinking about tonight's dinner and what I've got to do at work tomorrow. But the second I stop and turn and look at them and start talking, the whole tone changes. They know it, you know it, you're there, you're present. And what it says, even if the interaction is small and bite-sized, it means right now you have my mind, you have my full attention. And I think that that active involvement, even if it's only bite-sized, is so much better than it sort of having two or three things happening at the same time and trying to fool yourself that you're multitasking and doing it all brilliantly because I think it's reality is stopping for a moment giving attention being active and then coming back to what you're doing is far more beneficial than trying to do a lot of things at the same time love that that's wonderful I'm going to try that <laughs> um so keen to talk about the future of work um and there was one thing that struck me in the book um 
and I think you mentioned it when we first started chatting um, about the the where learning happens and the role of school subjects. Just was keen for you to talk about that a wee bit um, because I think for some of us in a different generation, that's I, I, I really liked that. So would you be able to talk about that? Absolutely. And look, education is, is at the heart of everything I do. I'm, you know, I very much believe in education, but I think education, like everything, is changing. And we, we we have this idea that we should choose our subjects at 15 years old and it's going to somehow define what we do in the future. What I know of, of many years, in fact, two decades of teaching adults, almost nobody ends up in the same area where they trained for, with the exception of perhaps of people who go into medicine, law or engineering. And so everybody else pretty much has a variation of what they started off. And some people have something that's completely different, including myself. And so I think this idea that we get obsessed with what our children study and their grades and, and it's all going to define their future is actually quite flawed. There's no evidence to show that whatsoever. And in fact, if people study what they enjoy and they get enjoyment from learning, they're far more likely to continue learning, but also to do well. And of course, if you do well, you build confidence and the confidence then exchanges into trying new things, being more adaptable, excelling further, striving for better. The second you take away all those benefits of learning and it starts to be, it's a grind, I don't enjoy it, it's got exams, I feel depressed about it, it's hard. Actually, what you're doing is counterintuitive. You're going to feel less likely to go ahead and do things that you know, stretch you and to engage you into new things. So I, I do really believe it's super important when we think about the future of work, it's going to keep changing. So getting excited about learning, getting your kids excited about learning, doing the things they love will be far better for them long term than actually forcing them to do subjects because you think it's a really important if they, they drop science, they'll never be a great at whatever they, you know, your view of what they might want to do in the future. Uh, and the reality is they'll probably do something quite different. Uh, and so, you know, build in that flexibility. And I think you'll find that you have a, a better relationship with your children, but also <laughs> probably that they, they will really enjoy the learning process quite differently. Great. And for what about for those of us in the workforce? What, what advice have you got about learning for us? So all I can say is to learn is one of the most, the biggest gifts that we have. We have a brain that adapts and learns and can keep learning all the way through. In fact, there's no evidence of slowdown until people well into the 80s. So there's no difference between if you're learning at 50 than if you're learning at 20. It's, it's actually about how you think about learning. And so for me, I always say to people, it doesn't matter if you're going to do pottery classes or you're going to go and learn flower arrangement or how to do Italian cooking, or you decide to go back to formal study, just keep learning. One, it has huge health benefits for you. It has obviously socialization benefits. It's about building networks. It's about giving yourself the ability to change and adapt over time and take on more change. The second you stop learning and you run on autopilot, it's a little bit like I use the analogy in the book, like buying a mobile phone and not downloading any apps. Mm -hmm. It's basically has a limited capacity. It's only through the benefits of learning that the phone gets better. The apps improve, you download some new, um, some new tools or the latest version, it improves over time. We should expect people around us to improve over time. We've got the capacity to do that. We can keep, we can lose old knowledge to replace it with new knowledge. We can stretch into new areas. The more we learn, the better we're going to be at facing change. 
And the better we are at facing change, the better we are going to be for our families because we'll keep that confidence and we'll be less likely to go into, you know, older part of the, or the latter part of our career with this expectation that it's all about slowdown. We can go in thinking, well, what else can I do? And what else could I learn and how can I stay connected? So that's a lovely segue to the last question as we wrap up, which is in your chapter, would have, could have, should have, and I say that quite a lot to people. Um, so keen to just talk about the phrase, the past is a place of reference and reflection, not a place of residency. Can you talk through the, the role of our brains in reaching our destinations um, and working out what our destinations are? Yeah, look, I think that that phrase I put in there, you know, often people say where I started is where I'll finish. And so that they, they study for one area, they end up in one role, and then they, they actually, so they end up working in a bank. They can't imagine not working in a bank. So it becomes almost like this is a residency. I'm stuck in this role. This is nothing against banks, but <laughs> actually the idea that actually if you go back and say, what did I enjoy in that role? What was, what is it, you know, five years ago gave me most enjoyment? What is it now that gives me enjoyment? Where could I take that same skill set and use it to transfer to a different sector? And sort of having this idea that you don't need to stay in the same place. You don't need to reside physically in the same town. You don't need to stay in the same job or the same sector. You actually have the ability to move in, out, up, aside, whichever way you want. But it's identifying what makes you the best you you can be. And it sounded a little bit cliched and maybe a little bit kumbaya, but actually we don't spend enough time thinking about what would be a great next step. And one of the frustrations I see is people who leave a job after five years on a Friday and they literally start a new job on the Monday and they've never given themselves just a breather between to say, what can I reflect on on that job that I really enjoyed? And what was it about that that role that gave me the most excitement and what didn't I like? So that the next role, you spend the next five years, which is a big chunk of life, doing something that actually is meaningful and, and actually aligns with values, aligns with what you enjoy, aligns with the aspirations that you have. And it doesn't always mean an upwards trajectory. It may be that actually the next role has less people responsibility and actually has perhaps a lower salary, but it gives you an a huge amount of satisfaction and actually over time and as we get older we probably need to think more around satisfaction and enjoyment and connection and less about that extra ten thousand dollars which we know can disappear in a, in, a, in, a, in a blink of an eye and so thinking about really that that love of what we do is super important because we we're here for such a short amount of time and actually that's what gen z are doing you know that's exactly what they're doing so yeah, beautiful are, way they're, they're, they're to. Away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lovely way to end off the conversation. So, thank you so much, Francis. That was really enjoyable and really quick. On to the future you take five. One, never stop learning. The more open and excited you are about learning, the more you will be able to keep adapting and changing over time. The more we learn, the more creative we are, and the better we are at facing change. Two, learn from and understand Generation Z, a generation who is about to enter the workforce, teach our kids, be our customers and change the workplace. Three, learn about the alpha generation, the largest generation in the world who will be in our workplaces in a decade or so. 
Four, embrace change. Get rid of some of the safety rails that has you running a planned life. Bring back some flexibility and spontaneity and see what doors open and where they take you. Five, as a leader, observe and have an active state of mind. Watch, listen. It shouldn't be about the noisy few. Understand the subtleties of your team's collective. That's the Books at Work Future You episode done and dusted. Please send me feedback or follow Books at Work on Instagram. I'm Anna Hughes, Books at Work, making work better.